0: Welcome to Organized Crime and Punishment, the best spot in town to hang out and talk about history and crime, with your hosts, Steve and Mustache Chris.
1: Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
2: We are very deep into the contract-killing startup enterprise of the mafia, Murder, Inc. We have seen that Murder, Inc. wasn't just a add-on or a side project of the American Mafia and organized crime. It was central to the formation of the Mafia itself. And we're building that story as we go along. We've met a lot of really, quote unquote, interesting characters so far in the development of Murder, Incorporated. Today, we're going to take some time to zoom into the life of one of the more fascinating stories and characters jack legs diamond mustache chris why should we take a closer look at jack diamond
0: yeah researching the like our deep dive into murder rank i came across jack legs diamond and um the uh labor sluggers worry was a uh, little augie's bodyguard or on and off bodyguard and it was honestly, it was his nickname that kind of caught my attention. Jack Legs Diamond. It's just such an odd nickname for a mobster. So I just kind of went down a little rabbit hole. And as soon as I kind of got into his story, I'm like, this guy is, this guy is an insane story. Like, how about, how have I'm no, sorry, how haven't I heard about him? Like, he's like, trips around the world, you know, he was like dating the equivalent of movie stars at the time and like. had multiple attempts on his life and he was able to survive most of them you know Uh, and just researching it like kind of jack doesn't even really kind of he doesn't even come across as like a real person in a lot of ways he almost seems like a kind of like a evil cartoon character if that makes sense like you'll i think you guys will agree once we start
2: getting into his life story yeah, I really I agree with that, that there's so many people and sometimes somebody like Jack's likes Diamond. He just rises to the top. Let's start off with it right in the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about his background in early life? Jack Diamond was born on uh
0: July 10th, 19, uh sorry, 1897 to Sarah and John uh, Moran. Sarah and, J- Sarah and John would leave uh Ireland for Pennsylvania in uh, 1891, and a few years later, his brother, uh, Eddie, was born. And like many uh, Irish immigrants coming uh, to America, the easy wasn't going for them at all, right? It, not just the Irish, it was the you know Jewish immigrants and Italian immigrants that were coming over at the time. And to also add on top of it, Sarah suffered from uh, debilitating arthritis and other health problems. And then by 1913, uh, an affection in her lungs, uh, would actually kill her. And it was very common in those days because people just didn't understand, uh, just how bad uh, living in the unsanitary conditions that uh, they lived in. We touched on it a little bit in the, uh, murdering, uh, I believe it was murdering part one, where we talked about the living conditions in Brownsville, which was particularly worse, but in much of the United States and the, especially the major cities, they – some were a little bit better, but most of them were were really bad. Um yeah, and as soon as uh Sarah died, uh John moved his whole family to uh Brooklyn. And uh this is kind of where Jack Leg's diamond uh criminal career uh kicks off.
2: Yeah, so I mean I, I think we've seen this time and time again that a, some of these guys had really rough childhoods and Jack is certainly no exception i think in time to- in those times in general we would say that almost the perfect childhood back then would be considered a rough upcoming upbringing today but um how did jack fall into crime
0: yeah basically as soon almost as soon as he got to new york he started getting into involved in criminal activities he got involved with a, a famous irish uh, a gang called the Hudson Dusters, which is a, I don't know, some of these old like gang names are really cool. Like we did like the Five Families and like I don't know like the Gambino family and stuff like that's a cool name. But some of these old Irish gang names are. Wow, like they just i don't know a lot of them are just fun names there was another gang we talked on i think it was like murdering part three was the ocean hills hooligans which is like, i don't know some of these old-timey gang names are fun um but the hudson dusters uh yeah they they were no joke man they had connections to tammany hall and like and running organized crime in like huge sections of new york um eventually i think we'll we'll do like a whole thing on the Irish, it wasn't the Irish mafia, but people call it that, but Irish organized crime in New York and around the United States, because it is such a big subject. Um, yeah, Jack would find himself, uh, in jail for the first time in, uh, 1914. He was arrested for, uh, robbing a jewelry store. Um, but, uh, during, I guess he, spent a couple years there because like during world war one jack found himself uh swept up in the patriotic uh fervor of uh of uh of the times and he would join the army but uh, i guess those feelings didn't last very long because he would be charged with the uh, desertion in 1918 and would be sent to leavenworth for five years but only ended up serving uh two years of the sentence
2: i think that those criminal gangs back then it was really almost something in between a social club, a sports team. Like they were, they were almost like the the minor leagues for criminals. Like you would have gangs that weren't necessarily all, you know, maybe they were into some light criminality, you might call it vandalism or something like that. But I think that the the more powerful gangs and the real criminal organizations would kind of pick out what uh prospects from those gangs
0: oh yeah for sure you know and it's like even at this time it was like things are kind of getting more organized but it's still really not far removed i guess the i guess the most famous movie would be like gangs new york where you had like a bunch of these kind of small gangs and That there would be, like, the one powerful gang that kind of ran things, but they was, like, kind of very loosey-goosey. So, like, we're still kind of in that in-between stage where things are—they're getting more organized and uh, more top-heavy,
2: but we're not quite there yet. Or even—I mean, it's kind of a sillier example, but West Side Story, the Sharks and the Jets, it's the kids living in the neighborhood— that they're maybe the same, you know, the Puerto Ricans and the Irish, or in, you know, in our context, the Italians and the Jews and the Irish and the kids from the a couple of blocks just start to group together for maybe certain elements of self-protection, a little bit of identity and there you go and then some of the gangs that maybe are like you said are a little bit more organized and they might get into shaking down or stealing or uh roughing up people and that's how those things kind of evolve and how did legs evolve his criminal career yeah when he got out uh, he got
0: out uh jack would be released in 1921 and upon his release he would be hired by uh i guess arnold rothstein uh noticed him and he would be hired by you know arnold rostein to be his uh bodyguard you know and i don't know if people are familiar with arnold rostein but arnold rostein we're gonna do i guess we're gonna have to do a big series on him just because from even me and you researching and we didn't realize just how important arnold rostein was to organize crime um until we started really seriously researching this subject uh he in a lot of ways, basically created what we would consider organized crime in New York. Um, in a lot of ways. Um, I guess he would be most famous for he, he, I know people claim that he's the one that rigged the 19, uh, the 1919, uh, World Series, the famous Black Sox scandal. I mean, I would say that he did do it. We can't say a hundred percent for sure, but I would say that, yeah, Arnold Rothstein did rig it. Um, and Jack would also work as uh he would also work as a hired muscle once in a while for a famous a labor slugger named little Augie Jacob Origin, um uh who would uh, end up getting killed by you know people that were familiar with Lepke and uh, Leppi Bulkhalter and Jacob Shapiro and this is one of the times that uh, Jack almost loses his life we're going to get into that in a little bit um yeah, and, and uh, people probably wonder, look, how did Jack get his nickname? I mean the one theory is that he got his nickname from legs because he was able to run away from uh these hit uh, these hits that people would try to pull on him. Uh and another theory is that he was uh, a good dancer, which is I always that it's a funny image to me is this, you know, this gangster that gets his nickname legs because he's a good dancer. It's just not something you associate with organized crime. But that's one of the theories. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he had really long legs. I don't know. Uh, um, we only got like a couple of photos of these guys. Right. Uh, I mean, you can look up a picture of Jack and and um, uh, you can, you know, there's there's photos of them. Right. But there's not many. Um yeah, Jack was also known like during this time for living like a flamboyant lifestyle that like included heavy womanizing I guess his most famous girlfriend was a dancer named uh Marion Roberts uh once he started dating her he would he showed her to uh you know famous uh dance uh teachers in and around New York because you know Jack had the connections he was uh tied up with Arnold Rothstein um so we can kind of see here. Pretty early on that Jack kind of becomes like a what you would call the celebrity gangster, which was a new kind of phenomenon at the time where you, you saw it with Al Capone and and a couple other mobsters. But uh yeah, Jack was kind of he was a full blown celebrity. In a lot of ways he was like dating like the equivalent of movie stars at the time. Like these uh these dancers, these singers were I would be kind of like if I wouldn't say it was as crazy as like, say he was dating Scarlett Johansson, but you know, something like that where, you know, these were well known individuals at for the time. Uh, and he
2: was also a gangster that was killing people as bizarre as that sounds. Steve here. We are a member of the Parthenon Podcast Network, featuring great shows like James Early's Key Battles of American History podcast, and many other great shows. Go over to parthenonpodcast.com to learn more, and here is a quick word from our sponsors. As somebody who I I think I'm as knowledgeable about the mafia as the next person— and really interested in it, and I never really realized how deeply Arnold Rothstein was in the formation of what we know as the Mafia. Like you said, I think most people, if you know his name, you'll just associate it as the low-level crook who worked on setting up the 1919 Black Sox World series throwing scandal, but this guy was absolutely at the nexus of everything in the New York organized crime during prohibition and that time period. And he wasn't bootlegging wasn't even like his main thing either. He was involved in a lot of other things. And it's just the fact that he died kind of early that I think if he had lived a little bit longer, we could have seen a very different mafia come out.
0: Yeah. And also he was also influential in bringing like the drug trafficking and organized the drug trafficking come to the States, you know, even for people who probably know a little bit about Arnold Rothstein, that's probably a little shocking to them. But it's that's the truth. You know, I learned that reading uh, Rob Cohen's book, Uh, Tough Jews, and he talks about how in the Jewish community, they just don't even talk about it like that. Arnold Rothstein was responsible for drug smuggling. It's just something that's. You just don't talk about it. That's a big part of that book is just how the Jewish community, uh, has dealt with the fact that, you know, very early in their history, they were heavily involved in organized crime. Um, it's a, it's a very interesting book. I, like, uh, just in terms of there's a lot of like psychoanalysts, uh, uh, analyzing in it, uh, um, just how a community was able to deal with, uh, with that fact and, um, just it's well-written It's interesting history about the time period that we're talking about right now
2: now we haven't in this whole series talked much about prohibition and that'll be a whole different uh series but a lot of these guys made a lot of money in prohibition what was leg's involvement in prohibition Oh <laughs> yeah, so yeah prohibition obviously
0: was a you made of selling liquor illegal um you could still sell it. I don't know, it's a long story. We're not gonna get into it. But uh Jack came up with a brilliant idea during prohibition. He would steal the alcohol from the people legally selling it. So during prohibition it was a common practice to dump the alcohol that was like in barrels, like right before you hit the New York Harbor and then you would go collect it later in the dead of night and just so you weren't obvious about it right jack would pay like local kids like a nickel for every barrel that they were able to collect from these barrels that were being left in overnight and then he would uh he would obviously sell the liquor at his own clubs right so jack would open up the the hotsy totsy club that oversaw like most of the alcohol sales in the Manhattan region of uh, new york Uh, this club would bring Jack into conflict with other bootleggers. Obviously this is kind of where like the bootlegger war starts is because there was just so much money to be made. So everyone was doing it all at once. And this inevitably, you know, brought conflict. this is where people argue that prohibition was an absolute failure in a lot of ways, because it brought like a crazy amount of gang violence where like all these different gangs and all these different bootleggers were fighting each other. Uh, yeah they would bring uh our our buddy jack legs like, diamond into conflict with dutch schultz who is uh we're gonna end up doing an episode on him because he's just a really important uh gangster in general but around this time period but dutch was also um insane <laughs> so and uh so yeah in 19 uh sorry in july uh, 1929 jack and a, like a fellow gangster charles would uh they they shot up they shot like three drunken brawlers that were in their club and uh two of them uh, uh two of them would die and one would uh one would survive but barely and uh, cover up any potential witnesses to the very public crime because they did this while well. Everyone's around uh, two waiters, one, one hat check guy, one bartender would end up going missing. They ended up finding one of the one of the uh, I believe it was the waitresses. Uh, she was shot dead uh, in New Jersey. Uh, Jack obviously wasn't charged with any any anything for this. Right. Because there was no independent collaborating evidence. But the city did force him to uh, close down his uh, speakeasy, which is why was it open in the first place If they
2: knew it was there? It should have been closed down, right? That's just the whole insanity of prohibition. And I guess we'll get into it, but it, it, in a future series is that it created criminality that wasn't there in the first place. And it, it created a, a a situation where you had to inle- illegally import the, the booze or illegally make it. And so, they're, you're creating an unsafe situation there. And then you're creating a situation where the mafia goes and steals somebody's booze. They have no recourse. You can't go to the government. You can't go to the police. You can't go to the courts. So, then you have to go to these organizations like La Cosa Nostra that are just starting to, like, an infection, like, just work their way into every system. And I think that that's a, one of the things I don't think. That the and like I said again, this will be something that we get into a lot more, and I'd love to hear what people, their ideas. I don't think that the prohibition made the mafia, but I think it was almost like steroids for the mafia.
0: Yeah, I would generally agree with that. I mean, I mean, me and you have gone back and forth about prohibition. I think there, I think there were some people that just saw what liquor did to families and did to people, and generally thought. Like this is crazy. Like why are we allowing this to go on? Like it destroys people's lives and I think there were ge- people that were genuinely uh concerned about the welfare of their neighborhoods. At the same time, if the city is going like, "Oh, you're going to have to close down your speakeasy." I'm like, well, "Why was it opened up in the first place? Like if you can't enforce the law or the law is unenforceable or not willing to go to certain lengths to actually enforce the law, like I don't what are you doing, really? um that's my opinion right i mean when we get into prohibition i i have some interesting takes on the whole thing but probably that's not um i guess popular opinion but you know we'll save that for another episode because uh, like we said it's 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 a huge thing in a lot of ways it created the mafia some people say it it created the mafia i i don't know if i'd go that far but it it definitely helped uh yeah, so after his club gets closed down, you, you think Jack would, you know, lay low for a bit, you know, like have some of the heat uh, come off. No, he goes and immediately, starts kidnapping truck drivers and kidnapping a lot of people. And like one of these truck drivers that he kidnapped was Grover Parks. Um, and they basically beat the crap out of him, you know, and tortured him because they, I don't know, they thought he had the hard cider was on his truck and he d- denied it and i couldn't ever actually find out if there was actually cider on the truck or not uh but they ended up just letting him go and then he, jack would end up getting charged for this and there was a couple other kidnappings that he'd done i just thought that was crazy like you beat a guy within an inch of his life and then you just let him go like of course he's gonna go to the cops the cops already have like you know uh you know like meet uh sorry a heat seeking missile on you considering what you you know, basically got away with three murder uh with two murders that they know of. I just thought that was so
2: crazy. You think he would lay low? No, not Jack. He just starts kidnapping people and beating them up. And he even after Prohibition goes away, Jack doesn't calm down or go straight. If anything, I think he really ramps it up, but can and in his next adventure he goes on a grand tour of Nazi controlled Europe.
0: Yeah, this has got to be one of the crazier stories in, in mob history that I've seen, just cause it's not crazy in the sense that it's it's just, it really is really ludicrous. Um, yeah. So I guess in one of the more bizarre stories about organized crime uh, around this time period, Jack would go on a trip to Europe. And I guess he, I guess the logic behind it, maybe he was making some connections in Europe or he was just trying to get some of the heat off of him because i guess he was like radioactive at this point uh so jack would board would board uh the ocean liner belgenland and the, the the police initially thought that jack was trying to leave new york uh so they checked two other ships and they just happened to be the wrong one so he got on this one and apparently while he was on uh this ocean liner he basically spent his entire time you know smoking cigars smoking cigarettes drinking playing poker and Apparently made thousands of dollars. who was on this ship. There's like conflicting evidence where apparently the captain of the ship said, like, Oh, he didn't make that much money, but I don't know. Who knows? Let's just say he made thousands of dollars because it's more interesting. <laughs> it, uh, yeah. The NY- NYPD bit telegraphed pretty much all of Europe saying, like, if you see Jack, detain him immediately. This guy's a ruthless criminal murderer. We want him back here. Um, and once Jack landed in England, he was informed that he was not going to be allowed to enter the country. And England's like, oh, I don't know. Like, what are we going to do with this guy? And I, he said he wanted to go to Vichy, France. I guess Vichy, France is famous for spring water. Jack was clearly lying about why he wanted to go there. Um, So England ended up just sending him to Belgium, and he ended up landing in uh, Antwerp where... He was immediately detained. And then once he was detained he, in uh, Belgium. Yeah, so he was sent to Aachen, Germany, where he was um, he was immediately arrested there, too. And I don't know, let's just pause there for a minute. Like, does this not sound like something out of a cartoon? Like, this guy sneaks out of the United States. He goes to England and goes oh, go. Whatever you're going to Belgium, you claim you want to go to France. We're gonna, you can go to Belgium, and then Belgium's like, well, you're not staying here. We're gonna send you to Germany, and, then, <laughs> and then they're like he goes to Germany, and basically Germany says like, okay, you know what? We're just gonna deport you back to the states. Like we don't want you here. And he would think like, oh, this crazy story ends. No, it goes further. So he goes to the States. He ends up landing. He ends up going to Philadelphia where he's immediately arrested. And the judge goes to him. It's like, okay, we know what? Here's the deal. We'll drop all the charges. You just got to get out of here in an hour. And Jack's okay. fine. I'll get out of here in an hour. And he left and went back to New York. Like, like, what a bizarre story. Like, how many countries did he go through? Uh, I don't even know how – I don't even understand how he thought he would get away with it, but I've never heard anything like this and all the mob guys that we've read about, have you?
2: No, Well, there's a little hint in it, like with uh, Vito Genovese going to Italy, but he had a place to go in Italy. I don't understand what Legs – was remotely trying to do going to Nazi Germany and the Nazis don't even want him it kind of <laughs> sounds like one of those uh adventure books from like the 30s and the 40s where uh the person like it's almost like he's an undercover agent or something but he's not he's just a you know a pretty low level criminal it's insane <laughs> Basically, it's just
0: like going from one country to the next and each country just going like, oh, man, like we just don't want to deal with this. We'll just pass it along to the next guy, you know, like uh, that's a Monday problem or
2: something. You know, it's the equivalent of that. We're going to leave Jack in Philadelphia for a minute to just talk about how many times this guy was almost murdered and lived through it. Like they call John Gotti the Teflon Don. I think that... Jack Diamond was made out of Kevlar. Yeah,
0: we'll go through like the couple of times that, uh, well, a couple, more than a couple of times that Jack was almost killed. And just uh, the, some of them are really crazy. Or, so the from what I was able to research, the first attempt on Jack's life that uh, I'm aware of, uh, and there must have been like a couple other times before, I just wasn't able to find it. Uh it just kind of goes with the lifestyle of being organized uh, criminal at this time period. It was in 1924. He was trying to rob a, a rival gang's liquor truck and was hit by shotgun pellets. And Jack would obviously survive uh, this with no, from at least from what I read, no serious injuries. But that you know, imagine that's the first attempt on your life. You're being shot by like a shotgun.
2: <laughs> it's nuts.
0: Uh it really is nuts, you know, and then the second time came in 1927, and we kind of touched on this a little bit before when we covered the labor slugger words. If you guys go back and maybe listen to that episode, uh, that's going to be that was murdering part two. Uh Jack's Jack's brother was the he was the guy that was little Augie's bodyguard for most of the time. But he I guess he had the day off that day. And so Jack was covering from. And on October 16th uh, 1927 little Augie was shot dead by three men and Jack was hit uh, twice just like right below the heart apparently and Jack was taken to the hospital and he was interrogated by police but Jack refused to talk and at one ple- at one point the police suspected that maybe he was in on the head as crazy as that sounds even though he was shot near the heart it wasn't like he was shot in the arm or something he would you know, if he was shot in the arm or like non life threatening, I can maybe understand where the police are coming from, but not when you're shot like, you know, uh execution style in the chest. Um but those suspicions were dropped, obviously. Um yeah, shot twice right below the heart, uh, covering for your brother who was supposed to be working that day. Like that's <laughs> that's that's, that's yeah. wild, eh? um this is probably the crazier one like the third attempt was uh was on October 12th 1930. um and you would think at this point that apparently Jack would just not leave his house in October but just considering it seems three times and uh he must have just looked at the calendar and thought like oh October like yeah probably someone's gonna try to kill me kill me this month <laughs> and uh so yeah, Jack was at his hotel room. Uh, and it would be broken into and he would be shot five times. Yes, you heard that like right five times. And uh, while he was still in his PJs and Jack was somehow able to walk out of his room and when the police found him there, they just couldn't understand. Like, how did you, like, how did you get out of the room? And apparently Jack responded by saying, like, I took two shots of whiskey. It gave me, gave me enough strength. I just get this image of like the guy in the cartoon that like drinks something after he's been shot a couple of times and it's just like (laughs) kind of spilling out of them. That's the image I got because he's like in his PJs and he's been shot five times. Um, Jack would end up obviously end up going to the hospital. He would recover and he would get out on December 30th, 1930. So I guess he didn't make it home for Christmas. But you think about it, like, he got shot twice right below the heart, got shot with a shotgun, and in this case, uh, five times, or up to, I don't know, eight or nine times that he's been shot,
2: nobody's been able to kill him. So, Jack finally ran out of lives, and he can't respawn anymore. How does Jack ultimately get taken down? We all
0: know, like, some people are kind of born lucky, everyone knows the type of person, like just things kind of go their way, but, like, eventually... Even for those people, like luck does run out. Uh, Jack was staying at a rooming home while he was on trial for kidnapping uh, that he would be acquitted of on uh, December seventh, seventeenth, uh, uh, nineteen thirty one. And he was the, he went out with the friends and his mistress. They went out for dinner and the night of drinking to celebrate. You know, obviously him escaping the law once again in the late hours of the evening. And Jack being hammered, he stumbled back to his rooming home where he passed out on his bed. And approximately an hour later, this is from what I was able to research, uh, men broke into his apartment and one held Jack down while the other person shot Jack, uh, point blank and the back of the head three times. Pretty brutal, like, like really ruthless execution, right? Considering he was like right in the face, uh, or at least his face would have been blown out, but. I mean, given the amount of times that he was able to get away, I guess to a degree, I can understand the the overkill,
2: yeah, it's um, really really
0: crazy, crazy story you know uh the I don't know it's obviously not the same rooming home, but like uh there's a picture of where the rooming home was, and you can kind of see where exactly where he was killed and even but even with the uh, jack's death like the story doesn't end there like it gets even crazier i didn't even know anything about this until i started researching uh the subject But like there's many different theories about um like who actually killed uh jack diamond and like some people say it was dutch schultz which is believable dutch killed a lot of people especially like fellow bootleggers um Some say, like, it was, like, relatives of, like, another Irish gang that Jack kind of screwed over, but I found, like, the most interesting theory was it was the Albany police force themselves. Uh, Apparently, Jack had been trying to move into Albany uh, once his club got closed down, and he was having, like, a lot of problems in uh, his more traditional areas in New York, so he saw an opportunity here, but... A, a gentleman named by Dan O'Connell, who apparently ran, like, the pl- Democratic uh, political machine at the time, he made a big point that there was going to be no organized crime in Albany, at least, you know, stuff that he – the stuff that he was doing was fine. But there wasn't going to be uh, any other organized crime uh, anybody knows about, like, these political machines, Republican or Democrat. But in New York, it was particularly bad with the Democratic Party. Uh a lot of ways it was kind of hard to tell the difference between them and organized crime. And apparently Dan O'Connell, that's what I read, apparently put a hit out uh, for, uh, on Jack diamond and a gentleman by, uh, William Fitzpatrick, who was sergeant at the sergeant at the time. This is how the theory goes, where the guy, him and his partner went in there and they killed Jack. And because shortly after he ended up becoming the chief of police, and the theory goes, this is kind of his reward for getting rid of Jack Diamond, you know, and then 20 years later, William would be shot by one of his own detectives in his own office. And I, I tried researching this. That's wild, right? Like, like a detective shoots a chief of police in his own office. You think that you would know more about that, but I, I, I tried finding exactly what happened and, I was having a difficult time doing it. Like, I'm going to keep on digging. And once I do, maybe we'll do like a short about it or, you know, we'll explore it if I could act. Cause it is, that is insane that a police detective shot the chief of police in his own office. I guess maybe the theory, my theory is maybe John saw all the type of corruption that was William was involved in and like didn't want any, like he took matters into his something. own. Head snapped cuz he ended up getting acquitted of the crime later on so that's my theory is he saw the type of corruption and like the type of corruption was coming out and i it, it, that's a really bizarre story like to me it, this whole the th- police killed jack diamond seemed really believable in my opinion and it, it's there's a lot of, there's a couple other people that really truly believe this is what happened um Maybe they didn't have anything to do with it, and maybe it was just Dutch salts. Maybe it was uh, some other Irish gangs. But this police theory, I think, has a lot of legs to it. Not to be uh, cheesy, but uh, <laughs> there, there's a, there seems to be a fair amount of evidence that this these are the people that that killed eventually killed Jack.
2: Steve here again with a quick word from our sponsors. I think you can see how. I, I mean, I agree with you that that could carry some legs. That again, uh, excuse the the pun, but how the the organized crime kind of bleeds and well, crime in general bleeds into the political machine, which bleeds into the police department, and they all just kind of blend in together. And so you can see how these corrupt political machines are operating with corrupt police departments and you have the criminal element that's just right for anything to basically happen. Yeah. And then uh, Jack's widow,
0: Alice, would end up getting killed in her Brooklyn apartment. She was only 33 years old. And I don't know, maybe maybe it was the mob that killed her because they they were worried that she was going to start ratting or who knows, maybe it was the police department apartment and she got wind of what happened and couldn't have her talking about, you know, it was the police that actually killed my husband. Um maybe that's what happened, you know, either way. It just shows you kind of how ruthless it was at the time. Like people, you know, they had this image of like the mob, like, oh, we don't go after women, we don't go after children. It's like maybe at one point that was true. It depends on what time you're talking about the mob, because the time that we've been investigating around Around this time period, like murdering time period, the early history of the mob, they don't seem to really care
2: all that much. And, uh, another possibility is that somebody, maybe she had some of Jack's money, or people, somebody perceived that she had his money and it was just, oh, let's kill her and take the money. I mean, uh, again at all that this is such a rough and tumble time in american history and such a violent time in history oh no
0: i just you mentioned a rough and tumble time in american history i'd recently watched uh been watching the movie once upon a time in america and james wood's uh character max he has a good line where uh they're arguing with uh it's a labor organizer and uh and, uh James Woods character says, oh, the country's still growing. Uh, some diseases are better to have when you're young. And he responds, like, you guys aren't like a disease. You're the plague. But you, in a lot of ways, it's, it's like a country growing up. It's like a child, right? Like, we're like this early version of organized crime. I guess you could be like, oh, this is like a case of the measles or what have you. Like, you're better off just to get it out of the way. I mean, we don't do that now. But, you know, back in the day, they used to have, like, chicken pox parties and stuff like that so, and so you would just get it out of the way in a lot of ways like yeah like this early version of uh, organized crime is it's inevitable it's gonna happen for a country that's growing
2: up also a country we we've really focused on this whole podcast about the crime part of it not so much about the punishment but the in the u.s the it, it grew up so fast during this time period of the late 19th century and the early 20th century A lot of systems never got put in place. And I think even a hundred years later, we're still sorting out the fallout of that, that there's systems got built up really quickly to deal with this plague of violence. And maybe they weren't the the very best systems to, to be put in place where other countries that were more established like. Britain had a police department for a lot longer in London and in the towns. And they had a, a more of a theory of policing and uh, other places had more of an idea of policing. In the U S, it was really either, you know, we talk so much about the old West and the, the sheriff and, but uh, they were still trying to figure out policing in much more violent places like New York City and Chicago and these big cities. They're trying to figure out how are we going to have law and order. And we see that that's how American, the whole American idea of law enforcement comes out of this time period. Because really beforehand, there wasn't a huge need for law enforcement. It could be more ad hoc.
0: Yeah, really. I mean, this uh, at this time period, this is kind of where the FBI comes about, and Jagger Hoover kind of enters the picture, and you get this idea of like scientific policing. I, I recently uh, last night I watched a little bit of this movie, uh, Public Enemies, which is about it's the Johnny Depp one, where uh, he plays like John Dillinger, and yeah. that's like a big theme in the movie. It's like the early history of the FBI, and like uh, Jagger Hoover is like you know arguing to judges and senators, and but why we need an organization called the, like the FBI. And it's crazy to think like people just take it as for granted now, like the FBI is there, but not that long ago, like, you know, people, I guess, I guess they would all be dead now, but you know, some people would still, they would have been really young, but had maybe just recently passed away where it, it was a legitimate argument where do you need something called like, do you need something like the FBI? And like, it seems like it's rife, for all different types of problems um and had to put forth a good argument for why you needed a federal bureau of investigation um but like you were saying like it's growing pains like you didn't really need this type of stuff until you know crime
2: became more organized now let's wrap up the story today of jack diamond why do you think he was worth spending some extra time on and what was his real connection to murder inc
1: well
0: you know like i pointed out earlier like jack was the bodyguard of arnold rossi and he was the bodyguard of little augie he ran one of the most like successful bootlegging operations during prohibition he was shot at least 10 times and finally killed in a conspiracy maybe involving a police department of albany Like, how many gangsters can say they did all of that? Like, that's a, that's, that's insane. That's just a crazy story. Like, and I just thought people would really enjoy it, you know? Like, I that's not even including the crazy trip to Europe that we talked about. Like, you know, you know, kind of wrap them up and, like, in conclusion, Jack, I don't know. He's just one of the more, it has one of the more insane, fun gangster stories of all the ones I've, uh, investigated so far during this time period. And in, in relation to murdering, um, I mean, he was little Augie's bodyguard, right? And then we learned basically in a lot of ways the labor slugger war that involved, uh, Lepke and Jacob Shapiro, uh, in some ways kind of created murdering. So it's all. Connected really, and I just thought this would be a fun little kind of sidetrack episode. Was and you know, kind of take a little break from Murder Inc. and uh investigate this guy's story. Because as soon as I read it, I, I think I mentioned it on the episode. Like we we got to do like a little kind of short episode about this guy because it really is a, a crazy. I I don't loosely use the term fun, but it is a fun story. I mean, this guy was a ruthless killer and drug smuggler and bootlegger and murderer and womanizer you know it's not a fun guy but it is a fun story
2: i think it is interesting to learn more about some of these side characters who they don't they're maybe not going to get put up on the marquee but he really was an important part of this story of murder inc and as we go back and get back into the stream of the narrative next time Keep people like this in mind because it it took more than just Meyer Lansky and Albert Anastasia and these people at at Dutch Schultz. There was a lot of people involved. Oh, yeah, for sure.
0: You know, and I just like I said, I just think the audience would just get a kick at reading this guy's story like he was shot 10 times, like multiple times, like near the heart. He was like dating movie, the equivalent of movie stars at the time, like you know, I got kicked out of how many different countries in Europe for whatever odd reason he thought that was going to work. And, you know, he has such a, you know, maybe he was killed by the police. Like, it's just such a crazy story. And as I just thought people would enjoy it.
2: We'll just leave it there. Now, if you're enjoying what you're hearing and you want to hear more like and subscribe, but also tell a friend about the show so that your friends can become friends of ours.
0: Yeah. Forget about it. You've been listening to Organized Crime and Punishment, a history and crime podcast. To learn more about what you heard today, find links to social media, and how to support the show, go to our website, a to zhistorypage.com Become a friend of ours by sending us an email to Crime at zhistorypage.com All of this and more can be found in the show notes. We'll see you next time on
1: Organized Crime and Punishment. Forget about it. Text the word "history" using the code. 30605 and we'll send you a link to a wonderful product that can help you finally succeed in shedding that extra weight. Jeff in Indiana lost 55 pounds with Calitrin. Lily in Tennessee shed 42 pounds. Beth is sleeping much better and her joint aches have eased up considerably. Text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 right now to see this week's special offer on Calitrin. Calitrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calitrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calitrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90 day supply.